make for treasure rare you may talk of gold or silver fortune and fame are the wealth of this world there's a treasure greater still only one can fulfill it's the treasure of jesus my lord jesus you are the treasure treasure of my heart i'm amazed at your beauty and all that you treasure of my heart. At the end of what we know, when we see our loving Savior, treasures of earth will all vanish away. Heaven's glories we will share, nothing else will treasure of Jesus, my Lord. Jesus, you are the treasure, treasure of my heart. I'm amazed at your beauty and all that you treasure of my heart. And thank you, Joy. That song is perfect for the message tonight, because we are going to be talking about priorities. And uh, really, uh, after our message last Sunday night, we preached on Adulting 101. And uh, sorry, there's a little pad I need to put on the microphone here. Preached on Adulting 101 last Sunday evening. And I got a text right after the service was over. We need to have an adulting 102 class, okay? So, and really, this, this, is, this could be a part of adulting 102. Uh, when we talk about priorities, it's something that oftentimes is lacking in our culture. And I wanted to use a couple of illustrations to show how things are different than they used to be and how out of whack our priorities have become. Last week I talked about a man, one of my favorite preachers from the first great awakening was Jonathan Edwards. Tonight I want to introduce you to another man. His name is uh, Jonathan Wesley. He was also a preacher during the first great awakening, but he died in the year 1791 after 53 years of faithful ministry to God. But when he died, they went through his belongings, and what was left of what he had was a handful of books, a Geneva gown, that he used to preach in, just the one, six silver spoons and someone had given, that someone had given him, and then he had six one-pound bills, which he gave instructions for. This is what he said, give one to each of the poor men that carry me to my grave. Okay, so this, this is what he left. Everything that he owned by the time that he died was some books, an old gown that he used to preach in, 
six silver spoons and six dollars worth, basically, that he, that he left to be given to the men who would bury him. So he died without much to his name. But he didn't leave millions to his children. He didn't have a whole lot when he died. But he did leave one thing that most of us know. Uh, he left behind the Methodist church, right? A whole denomination <laughs> that he left behind. He, was, he left behind thousands of people who got saved in, during the first great awakening. He, made mo- he did make money throughout his lifetime. But you know what he did with it? He built orphanages. He printed Bibles. He supported missionaries. He and his brother, they produced a hymn book together, which many of the hymns are in our hymn book that we sing today. His brother Charles produced a lot of those. Um, and, and, but when he died, all he had of value to his name was less than $30. That's what was left. Life is full of choices on what we value, what we put an importance upon. And John Wesley was an example of somebody who, he, yeah, he had money. He, had, he even had popularity, but he used those things to further God's work and God's ministry. So tonight's message is on setting priorities. And when we talk about priorities, really we're asking three different questions, right? We're asking, how much do I value different things? Because priorities are just a matter of value, right? The things that you value are the things that you are going to spend more time and more effort in. They're going to occupy more of your life because you value them more than other things. Also, what takes precedence when there's a conflict? Okay, when you've got a choice to make, which, which one wins out in that decision? And what does take up the majority of, of my time? And we'll talk about that because obviously there are some things we don't value, but they still take up large amounts of time, okay? Work being one of them. No, okay. So <laughs> most of us don't really want to go to work, but we have to do it, right? And it takes up a large chunk of our life. So, but priorities can be determined by how much we spend of our free time, especially on these things. And really, like I said, it comes down to what do you value? Joy saying, treasure of my heart. Luke 12, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The things that you value, that's what your heart is consumed with. That is, that's what your heart is, is pursuing after. So I looked up some statistics about how people use their time. And we, these things are not going to be weird, strange, that we've never heard before. Maybe they'll blow us out of our mind when, when it comes to talking about adults instead of teens, but okay. But the average teen spends about one hour every day on playing console video games and about 30 minutes playing mobile games. If your teen spends more than that, you're, they're over average, okay? So, but over a whole period of a week, 10 to 12 hours total per week is spent um, in, in these types of activities. Some parents stated, and I know this to be true because Elijah, when he was struggling with video games, was just like this would spend three, three hours plus a day for a total of 21 hours, hours a week. And so we, we definitely have a problem in our society with, with video games, and adults play video games too, right? Are kids the only ones who play video games? If you are a millennial, you grew up with video game consoles, right? I was born, I think, the year Nintendo came out, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's the same year, okay? So, so we grew up with, with video games. And for us, it's an escape from the, day, the activities of life, which maybe for you it's going and playing golf. Or maybe for you it's reading a book, right? So you can't inherently say video games are evil. Let's throw them all out the window, right? But the amount of time that we spend can be a problem, right? Adults spend about three to six hours a, a week on average. But there obviously are people who don't have a balance when it comes to this issue. They spend a lot more time than that. Now, I really think one of the biggest addictions that we all face is the amount of time that we spend on your phones. How many of you guys have iPhones? Anybody? 
Okay, your iPhone keeps track of how much screen time you have spent per, per week. Do you guys get a report every week saying this is the average of how many hours you spent? You know what my average this week was? It can't be right, 23 hours. <laughs> so, but I'm thinking it's because my, my computer is a Mac and it's on still and it's on all the time. So it doesn't really have an accurate record of how much time I'm spending on my devices. But you get these reports, right, on how much time you are spending on your phone. And for adults, I, the, the reports that I saw said about three hours and 15 minutes a day that we are spending on our phones. That's three hours and 15 minutes that we, we can't get back, right? And it says something about what we prioritize. What are we doing on them? Usually it's browsing or playing dinky little mobile games, right, that want you to buy, spend $5 to buy a chicken for your virtual garden or something like that, okay? Um, th that's usually what we're spending those three hours and 15 minutes on our cell phones doing. What we spend the most of our time often reveals our priorities. Like I said, work doesn't, all, work doesn't really count, although that could be your priority. It could be the thing that you prioritize. Um, but um, what you spend your free time on reveals what really, truly matters to you. And all these things that I just mentioned, they're really just symptoms of a bigger problem. The heart problem, the root problem, is a lack of setting priorities in our lives. Time, time playing video games on your phone, that's all right. But it has to have limits. There has to be a boundary to it. You have to know when to say no, when to stop, right? The Bible doesn't come out and give us a list like in Proverbs 3, 5, 3, 10, it says, do this, this, and this, in this priority order, right? We kind of have to deduce that from what the Bible says. And so I'm going to give you a list of priorities in the order I think they should flow. And I'm going to try to show at least to some extent why I think the Bible teaches that they should be in this priority. I can't come out and, like I said, I can't produce a Bible verse saying this comes before this and this comes after this, but I'm going to show you as best I can how these things work. And I really believe this is the order our priorities should be set with, I've got five different categories here. So the first one is going to be God. God always has to be first priority. Second one is going to be family. Third and fourth kind of are tied for work and ministry type of things. And then fifth is going to be exercise and leisure, okay? Those things will be tied together. So that list could include other things. We can make a longer list of all the activities that you do throughout the day, but generally they fit into one of those categories at some point, right? And, but I stuck with these ones because these are ones that the scriptures specifically address. So the first priority that we need to have in our lives, top place, always top place, our first priority should be God himself and our relationship with God. Exodus 20, verse number three, one of the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? That the very first command is don't commit idolatry. And we know idolatry is putting anything in the place of or before God. We're, we're putting it in the place of God. We are worshiping it as God. When other things become more important to us than God himself, than our relationship with God, those things become an idol. And I think a lot of times in America, we are more guilty of this than we realize. Um, e easy symptom, the, the things that we allow to become excuses for why we don't uh, spend any time in God's word or why we don't spend time in prayer. Those things become gods in our lives. They're things that we have allowed to take the place of. And I'm not saying that your life can't be busy and that you might have to rearrange some things. I'm, what I'm saying is if, if you aren't spending any time in God's word and you aren't spending any time in prayer, 
you have let something else become a God in your life. It has removed your relationship with God. And so we, we need to be spending time talking to God, seeking the heart of God, and pursuing him. We, we need to not prioritize anything else above God. So it can be any, a list of any other things. It could be a list of food. Food can become an idol, right? Um, also money. Money can become an idol. Usually money, when it's an idol, it turns into work. We work so hard because we've got to get more and more money. Uh, relationships and people can become idols. Even church can become an idol in our lives, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But anything we value and prior prioritize more than God can become a, an idol. So last week we talked about this. This is one of the points of being an adult, knowing how to set priorities. But the clearest verses on priorities can be found in Matthew 6, verse 33. Let's go ahead and turn there. Matthew 6, verse 33. We're going to look a little bit at the context here. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. Key verses, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The key word in that verse is the word first. First, a first priority in first place. We are to seek these things. <clears throat> but let's go ahead and read uh, Matthew chapter 6, and we will start in verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now the context here. What is, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about barrenness, right? Food, clothes, you're going to drink, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, those are, those are bare necessities. That should be probably somewhere high up on the list of priorities in my life, right? Because I need them. They're necessities. And yet Jesus says, take no thought about these things. He says it twice in this passage. Take no thought about uh, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? And then he says, take therefore no thought for the morrow, okay? Worrying about how all these things are going to be provided for me. And he uses the illustration birds in the sky, right? The birds, they, they go and they get their food for the day. They don't prepare like a whole bunch of food for the rest of winter and all this kind of stuff. Usually the birds are just, they go and they get their food and God provides for them. It's there. They have the food that they need. He also uses the illustration of your height, okay? 
Um, how, how many of you wish you could be taller? Kyle? Okay, I knew Kyle was going to raise his hand. Okay, so you wish you could be taller. Can you, by thinking, sitting in a corner and just thinking harder, mm, I'm going to get taller, can you add an inch to your height? Can you get taller just by thinking, Kyle? No, okay. You can't do it, right? There's nothing you can do about that. God controls and takes care of your height. Then he also talks about the lilies of the field, and he, and he uses this as an illustration of clothes, right? The lilies, they're beautiful. God has given them beautiful clothes, in a, in a sense, to, to wear. And he says, and yet even Solomon was not dressed like these lilies, right? And these lilies, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow because we cut them down, we mow them down, we do all kinds of things with them, okay? But God is saying, you are of more value than any of these things, than the birds of the air, the, how tall you are, the lilies of the field. God takes an interest in your personal life, and he will take care of your needs. But here's the condition. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That word first, it can take two different meanings, right? First could be a matter of time or sequence, right? If I have a bunch of kids lined up on, um, on the front up here, I got one, your kid number one, your kid number two, your kid number three, your kid number four. First could mean the very first one, the one at the beginning of the line, right? First could also mean a matter of time. What are uh, an, an event that occurs before another event occurs? So you could say the first thing to happen in the story of Jesus' crucifixion was the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where they're all waving palm leaves and, and crying out Hosanna. That was a first event. And then afterwards occurred some other events where Jesus was betrayed, he was crucified, he was all, the, all those things followed after. But the first thing was the triumphal entry. So first could take that kind of a connotation as well. And I think both of them go together. The first is the one that's at the beginning, the, the, the off the top, the best, but it's also the first one in, prior, in time. The, I'm going to give God the, the priority of my time. So when I seek the kingdom of God first, I, it, it is literally saying that we should seek God and his glory before we seek anything else. But then he tells us why. Why should we do that? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what's the promise? And all these things shall be added unto you. God doesn't promise to make us rich, but what he does promise to do is he promises to take care of us. He promises that if we put him first, he is going to take care of us. So God has to be our first priority, okay? Second priority is going to be family. Now we're going to deduce why I've put family here instead of other places of the list, okay? There are some verses that teach us that family is to be less than God, and other verses that teach us that family is to be more than ministry and more than other people and more than ourselves even, okay? So we're going to look through this and work our way through this section here. But first of all, family is to be less of priority than God. We cannot elevate our families to be more than God. We can't just skip out on church because our families don't want to be here or our families say, you can't go here. We, can't, we have to make God first priority in our lives. So our love for our family must always come second to our love for God. God is our creator, he is our redeemer, and he is our helper. We owe him our utmost allegiance. So let's look at Matthew 10 and verse number 35 through 37. We're in the book of Matthew already. Matthew 10, verse 35 through 37. 
<clears throat> Matthew 10, 35 through 37. We'll go back to verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me, he is not worthy of me. For he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. The teaching of this verse here is not that you need to, elsewhere Jesus uses the words, you need to hate your father or mother, okay? That's not the, the intent of what Jesus was saying. He was saying in comparison to your relationship with me, your love for me, your relationship with your family should pale in comparison. And, and so he says here, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So he's saying your relationship with me should be more than your relationship with father and with mother. I think of some practical applications of this. Um, sometimes when you're in a family, let's say you're a wife who is married to a lost man and your husband tells you not to go to church. It's a struggle to make that decision. Do you obey? Do you disobey? But I think at the very least, you cannot allow your husband to take away your relationship with God. There are a lot of ins and outs. Again, church is not God. We'll talk about that some more later. But your relationship with God has to come before even family. Uh, people who surrender to be a missionary, okay? Being a missionary usually means you're moving a long ways away, far away from your family, Right? Um, you think, again, we'll talk about Mrs. Hits. We got Paul J. in Baffin Island. That's at least 1,000 miles away, right? I don't know. Maybe more than that, okay? But Moldova and Greenland, those are far away places. And today we have technology that helps out with this a little bit. But you know what? You got to say goodbye to your family when you make that decision. And you're making that decision because God has called you to do it. You know, and, and, and that's not always easy. But if you allow your love for family to stand between you and God, you will never do what he wants you to do. You will never obey him. And, he, and so family has to be less than your relationship with God. But it needs to be more than other things. Okay, I put on here more than ministry. Okay? Um, we need to make a clear distinction between God and ministry. The service you do within the church is not the same thing as your relationship with God. A lot of pastors have made ministry into their number two priority over family. And what has happened is their children have run amok, they're, they're living in sin, and they've, in essence, I believe they have disqualified themselves from ministry. One of the qualifications for a pastor is that they rule their own house well. We'll look at those verses in a second. But many, many pastors have disqualified themselves because they have not valued their family over their ministry. They sacrificed their family on the altar of their ministry. This usually occurs because ministry has become more of an importance in their life. And, guess, and to be honest, what you value is what you will carve out a significant chunk for. We oftentimes say, oh, I just need to have quality time with my kids and not quantity time with my kids. That actually doesn't happen. If you have very small chunks of time, you don't really get the quality 
that you need within that time. They go together. You need quality and you need quantity. And so a pastor, a ministry person, needs to carve out significant chunks of time for their family to grow and to stay connected. Otherwise, they're going to end up disqualifying themselves because they're not involved and they're not taking their first responsibility first. Okay? And you think about institutions. God created mankind. He gave him a wife. His first responsibility was to whom? His wife. And then what happens when you have a wife? A lot of times, you end up with kids as well. So what's your next responsibility? Then you have kids. And we go on in the book of Genesis, and God ordains government. God ordains the church in the New Testament. But these things all came after our initial responsibility. Wives and to our kids. That is our first responsibility. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 2 through 5. 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 5. These are the qualifications of a pastor. A bishop here is what's, what he's called. 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 5. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Now, I don't believe that a pastor has to have children, obviously, but if he has children, he needs to run his house well. He needs to rule his house well and have his children in subjection. And he, so that means he needs to allot the amount of time in his relationship with his kids to be involved in their lives, to nurture a heart for God, and to teach them what God expects of them. The reasoning behind this is given in the next verse. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Okay? It's an example. Your family is a training ground for ministry. If you can run your family properly, biblically, and your, your kids aren't living in rebellion, you aren't provoking them to wrath as a father, and all the other examples or the expectations the Bible gives upon to fathers, which we will talk about through the rest of the series then that is an evidence that you can handle, you can manage the church of God as well. So your family is a training ground. But let's take this out of the realm of just pastors. Matthew chapter 7, or Mark 7, sorry. Mark 7, verses 7 through 13, gives us another illustration of this. <clears throat> this isn't something that just pastors deal with, just ministry people can deal with. But Mark chapter 7 gives us an illustration of how the Pharisees taught by their traditions, they taught the people to disobey the commandments of God. They replaced the commandments of God with the commandments of men. And so in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse number 7, we read, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for, the, for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such things ye do. And he said unto them, full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye keep your own traditions. So the, the main idea here is they've created traditions that allow them to disobey God. And he gives an example here in verse number 10. For Moses said, this is God's expectations in the law, honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. 
But ye say, so this is the traditions of men, this is their commandments. If a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited unto me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. I'm not going to go into detail about what's happening with this whole Corban idea, but basically this gift is something that is being dedicated to, to God, and he is using that as an excuse not to fulfill his obligations to his parents. The law of Moses said, honor your father and your mother. But he is saying, my ministry, my, my gift to God allows me to escape that. It gives me a bypass, so I don't have to do what God expects of me to do. And so your family should be less than God, but it should be more than your service to God. We must never sacrifice our family on the altar of ministry or service, the things that we do. As uh, in conjunction with this, we know in 1 Timothy that as sons, we have a responsibility to our widowed mothers, and we can't get out from those obligations. Our family is important. It is more important than the things that we do. It is our first priority over those other things. And so in, the, in this passage, we see that family is more important than ministry. Also, our family, our immediate family, is more important than others, okay? We're going we're gonna to break this down. Others can be your parents or your in-laws. This is something that a lot of new people, young couples struggle with. Genesis 2, verse 24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So when a man and a woman get married, according to the, this verse, a new family unit is created. They separate from father and mother. They become a new family, a new unit. They are to be separated from their parents, and their primary loyalty is now to their husband or to their wife. That's their primary loyalty, okay? Text. And it says that they are to cleave one to another. That word cleave is like glue, okay? How many kids like playing with super glue? I don't, let, I don't let you play with super glue. Okay, so yeah, so super glue. You take two things, you put the little glue on there, you stick them together, how long are they gonna stay there? Probably forever. If I take two pieces of paper and I super glue them together, what's gonna happen if I try to take one piece of paper off of the other piece of paper? They're gonna rip, right? It's gonna destroy the other piece of paper because they are glued. The marriage relationship is, ought to be a cleaving, a gluing together. And really, it, 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 is, it is that whether we want it to be or not, because if you split it apart, there's always damage. There is always heartbreak. There is always destruction involved when that happens. And that's why Jesus says primarily, in most cases, let no man put asunder what God hath joined together. Because there is always damage when that, when that glue is torn apart. And so as a husband and wife, our relationship one to another is more important than our and then our in-laws, okay? This means that our emotional needs, our physical needs, all of our needs should be met by our spouse and not by our parents and not by our in-laws primarily. I'm not saying don't get advice from your parents, but decisions should be made as a couple without the interference of the parents. If there is a problem in the marriage, the wife should not be running back to her mother to rescue her, but she should work through her problems with her husband. Those first few years, 
they're hard. They're not easy. You're coming from totally different backgrounds, right? Um, Katie and I, we had most of our arguments and discussions before we went to India. When we went to India, you know what happened? We magically were separated by thousands of miles from parents, right? <laughs> so, and, and what magically occurred because of that, not magically, I'm just using that word, is we got stronger because we now had to become dependent upon one another. You can't depend on your parents. You are a new couple. You are a new unit. Your primary, re pri primary relationship is now your spouse. You have to prioritize the needs of your immediate family over your parents' wants and even their desires. Also, your first responsibility is to your family over everybody else, the rest of the world. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You have to provide especially for those of your own house, okay? So they are a priority over everybody else in the world. A man who will not provide for those of his own family, according to this text, which is talking about widows, by the way, according to this text, Paul says he is worse than an infidel. Well, what is an infidel? I think of Muslims. All of us are infidels, according to Muslims, right? But an infidel is an unbeliever, somebody who has denied the faith. Paul is saying if you don't take care of your widowed mothers and your family, your immediate family, your own, those of his own household, okay, you are worse than an apostate, really, is what it comes down to. Because what you are saying about yourself, that you are a Christian, is not backed up by the life that you are living, okay? So your immediate family is more important than other people. But also, that your family is more important than yourself, this is one husbands struggle with. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter number five. Ephesians chapter number five. <clears throat> your family needs to be of a higher priority than you are to yourself. Ephesians 5 verse 25, just as an example here. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives, it says, as their own bodies here, okay? He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh. For this cause shall a man leave, he quotes Genesis, his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So we are to at least, according to these verses, love our wife as ourselves, which is very, very hard, right? Because we love ourselves pretty, pretty strongly. Men... We are very selfish. We are very, we, I think of illustration, this is my life, so you can cast stones if you want to. My wife's over there washing dishes. What am I doing? Sitting on the couch playing on my phone or reading a book or doing something else, you know? While she's working, I'm taking care of my desires. I am relaxing because I've had a hard day at work. You know what? Day at home. And she's still expected to be doing some stuff. And so I am at that point choosing to prioritize myself over my wife. So it's very hard, let alone to just value our wives as equal with ourselves. 
to love them to the extent that we love even our own selves. But here it says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And I think that phrase, even as Christ also loved the church, hints at something more than just loving her to the same extent that you love yourself, which is already love as Christ loved the church. Well, what did, how did Christ love the church? He, he left the glories of heaven, sacrifice. Agape is sacrificial love. Jesus came to earth. He, he gave up his riches and his honor and his power and his glory that he, he had before with his father in heaven, and he became a servant and dwelt on the earth and was rejected by men. He was beaten and he was crucified. He sacrificed for the church. So not only should we love our lives to the same level that we love ourselves, but we should love them more because we ought to be sacrificing for them. Jesus was willing to give up the things that he wanted for the, for the people that he loved. So Christ also loved the church, and it says, and he gave himself for it. We got Valentine's Day on Tuesday. Men, don't forget, okay? So Valentine's Day is on Tuesday. Love your wife. Give for your wife this Tuesday. But we ought to prioritize our family more than we prioritize even our own selves. That means you may have to give up some things. You may have to give up the video games. You may have to give up an hour of TV. You may have to give up your hobby where you're working out in the garage for hours on end in order to prioritize them. I'm not saying don't have any hobbies. I'm not saying don't do any of these things. What I'm saying is you may have to give up some of that to prioritize your family more than yourself. So the first priority is God. The next one is family, which is less than God, but more than ministry, more than others, more than ourselves, more than our parents, and the list could go on. So it is more than other things. The third priority is ministry and church. I think church is important. And really, I, I said in the introduction, priority three and four are pretty much, they're right next to each other because work is number four. Okay, and work, work is a necessity in life. But ministry and church should be another priority underneath of family. And serving others is important. We need each other in the body of Christ. But oftentimes, church and the fellowship with other believers get shoved off to the bottom of the list, right? When other things come up, Church is the thing that tends to be sacrificed. It becomes the bottom of the totem pole. Um, we've talked about sports can oftentimes come before church. And just for clarity, I'm not saying you can't play sports on Sunday, but I am saying it shouldn't become a priority over church. It's Super Bowl Sunday, is it not? Okay, you guys, you did not prioritize Super Bowl Sunday over church. Amen, okay. So, <laughs> but sports can become a priority over church. Money can become a priority over church and ministry. Vacations and pleasure can become priorities over church. But we need to reevaluate our priorities on this matter. How important is church? How important was church to God? What did, what did Jesus do for the church? He valued it enough to give his life for it. He, va he valued it pretty strongly, right? So should we not value what Christ valued to the... Uh, to a greater degree than we oftentimes do. And I think we don't value church because we don't see the necessity of it. And I've preached on this. This, is, this has been my main theme for the past eight months now, right? Okay, <laughs> so for the past eight months and even before that, before when I was just preaching periodically in church. Hebrews 10, verse 25, 
This verse is oftentimes quoted out of context, but I want to highlight something in it. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. It's taken out of context to say, don't skip out on church. That's not what the verse is teaching. The verse uses a very literal word, forsake. It is teaching don't, don't drop out of church. That's what it's teaching. But at the end, it says, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. As we come to the end of time, Christians need each other more and more. We need the relationship where we are exhorting one another more and more. If you know the, the total overall theme of the book of Hebrews, you have a church that was facing persecution. And they were tempted, people in that church were tempted to go back to Judaism so that they could escape persecution. Part of the theme is the book is to say that those who do are probably, probably not saved. Okay, that's, that's, that's the argument. But also he's saying to help those who are struggling with this, we need to be involved in their lives and we need to exhort them and encourage them. In fact, Hebrews says we are to be exhorting them daily. That's why my video blog on the Facebook page for the church is called Daily Exhortations. It comes from the book of Hebrews. This highlights the fact that we need other believers. We need Christians in our lives. You are not an island. You cannot stand on your own and live on your own as a Christian. A Christian needs other Christians in their life to encourage, to exhort, to uplift, to challenge them, to continue on. And so church needs to be a priority. It needs to be something that we value. <clears throat> Some people talk, like to talk about the rapture. I hear, this, I hear this a lot. They talk about end times. They talk about the tribulation. But they never avail themselves of what's necessary in the book of Hebrews, and that is the church. So we are to value ministry. The church is part of that, okay? But we are also to value others. Philippians 2, we're nearby that. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3. <clears throat> Philippians 2, verse number 3. I preached a whole message on this, but Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. What does it mean to esteem others better than your, yourself? To value others more than yourself. So that's why ministry becomes so important. Ministry is just an outflow of valuing other people more than I value myself. If I care about other people, I care about what they are going through, I care about the struggles that they are going through, ministry is trying to meet those needs. It is acting on, on valuing these other people. So we should value others. But also we should value Christians over the lost. Galatians chapter 6. Let's turn there. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter number 6. And verse number 10. Galatians 6, verse number 10. As ye therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, but especially unto those who are of the household of faith. This is setting up a contrast. Our priority, especially here, is those who are of the household of faith. 
I'm not saying you can't have unsaved friends. Uh, we can talk about that later. I'm not saying that you can't have, um, you can't reach out and help lost people, right? We, we had our gathering of goods for the, for the homeless this Christmas, or Thanksgiving, actually. Thanksgiving to Christmas, somewhere in there. Okay, we gathered up stuff for a bunch of lost people who are out on the street. Most of them were probably lost, right? But the priority in our relationships has to be on the people of God. I think it, it, it honestly is, some, it is a concern when a man's greatest friend that they spend all of their time with is a lost person and they have nothing to do with Christians. That's a symptom of a problem. You ought to have more in common with Christians than you do with the lost world. We have the same Savior. That alone should be the greatest thing that we can have in common between us. And really, what is the church? We are family, right? This is why this came as number three instead of number four. We are family. And if family is important over all these things, church family ought to be important over all of these things as well. We are of the household of faith. That's the word Paul used, the household of faith. Well, what is a household? It's a home, right? It's, it's, a, it's a home. We are all part of the same family. So there should be stronger bonds between us and other Christians than there are between us and even the lost of the world. So our third priority is going to be ministry slash church, okay? Fourth priority is going to be work, okay? We're going to talk a little bit about work and prioritizing work. First thing I want to say about work is there, we need to know when to stop, okay? Some people are workaholics. They spend all of their time do, doing, doing constantly and working constantly to the point that they don't prioritize any of the top three things that we just talked about, right? They make work their number one priority. Proverbs chapter 23, verse number four. Let's turn there. Proverbs 23, verse number four. <clears throat> Proverbs 23, 4 says, labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Okay, this is a caution against making wealth and making riches are all-consuming desire, because that's usually what leads people to become workaholics. Either that or they have an identity issue. Their, their identity is driven by what they do, and so therefore they have to do it more and more. Okay, but the, the last phrase here says, cease from thine own wisdom. That can have two different meanings in Hebrew. The Hebrew is a little bit ambiguous in this text. It can mean to stop following what makes sense to you. Okay, that's, that's a possibility here. But it also could mean because of your wisdom, stop. And tying it into the context of work, laboring not for riches. If you take that second understanding of the, of the text, what it is saying is you need to have the wisdom to know when to stop, to say, no, this is enough. I don't need to work anymore. I don't have to continue doing this because if I do, I am going to end up devaluing other things that are more important in my life. And that takes wisdom to know when to say no and how to say no, especially in the workplace. Um, there, a lot of times in the workplace, you are put under a lot of pressure by your managers, unless you're your own boss, then your clients put your pressure on you, right, Jim? Okay, so, but you have to know when to say no, when to stop and prioritize other things, and it takes wisdom to know how and when to do that. And because of that, workah workaholics oftentimes, because they don't know when to, st to stop, 
they end up sacrificing some things. They end up sacrificing their relationship with their family. They end up sacrificing their relationship with God. They end up sacrificing, even at times, their faith, okay? Because they're consumed with work, so therefore they spend no time with God, they're not in church at all, and their faith just dwindles. If you're, out, if you're outside of a relationship with God and you're outside of church, eventually your relationship is going to, your spirituality is going to dwindle. It is going to shrink. It is going to die because it's not being watered the way that it needs to. So you need to have the wisdom to know when to stop. Secondly, you cannot make money your consuming pursuit and also claim to be pursuing God. Matthew 6, verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters. We read this earlier. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This verse teaches that if money is your pursuit, your ultimate pursuit, the obvious conclusion is that God is not your, your, your pursuit. He is not your priority. So you cannot be claimed to make money your consuming pursuit and also claim to be pursuing God at the same time. Thirdly, sometimes emergency work situations have to supersede some of these other priorities. Let's go ahead and take a look at a Bible verse here in Matthew chapter number 12. This was something I had to learn, okay? So I, work at Ch- I worked at Chick-fil-A before I became pastor, and Chick-fil-A is a Christian company, Right? I've used this illustration before. They are a Christian company. And yet, at, and so we are closed on Sundays, right? We're not closed on Sundays because of the reasons you think we are, okay? <laughs> because honestly, actually, Chick-fil-A's policy is not that we are closed completely so people can go to church. That's not their policy. Their policy is you cannot sell chicken on Sunday, meaning you can do anything else. You just can't make money on a Sunday, are Chick-fil-A's that have their crew come in every single Sunday and clean the, clean the store every single Sunday, okay? Um, at, when I was working for Chick-fil-A, I was given the choice. As, a, having, as being a director for Chick-fil-A, I was told, you either come on a Sunday morning from 9 to 11 and help us clean this building, or you don't have a job, okay? That was an emergency type of situation. What do I do? Do I prioritize church because it's a higher, it's a higher priority than, than work is, Right? So do I prioritize church and lose my job and have to go find another job somewhere else? This wasn't regular for me. This wasn't something like every Sunday they were telling me to do this, okay? It was an emergency, a once, once in a periodic period of time that I had to make this decision. And pastor pointed me to this verse in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 11. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on, of, on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore is it lawful to do well on the Sabbath day? And obviously this is an illustration of Jesus healing on the Sabbath day. But the illustration he used is a shepherd who has a sheep that's got stuck. It's going to die on the Sabbath, or in our days we'd say on a, on a Sunday the day we prioritize for church, okay? And he says, what man among you will not go and rescue that sheep in this emergency situation, even though it is the Sabbath? And so the principle that Jesus was laying out is there are some times when you have, because of an emergency, you have to value other things temporarily more than the, the above priorities that we've looked at. 
So because of emergency situations, yes, you can go in, you can work if you have to to save your livelihood, but it shouldn't be a regular thing that we are doing, that we are choosing to prioritize over God. So our fifth priority we're going to focus on is going to be exercise, but I'm going to lump in with this as leisure as well. But the verse we're going to look at is 1 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 8. Most of us know this verse. 1 Timothy 4 verse number 8. <clears throat> For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of life that now is, and that which is to come. So according to this verse, Paul is telling him, bodily exercise, it has a value. It profits a little. But contrast here, godliness, your spiritual relationship with God, is profitable unto all. Okay, All is being contrasted with little here. So your spiritual relationship is more of more value than your physical relationship. And so I'm putting exercise at the bottom of this list. We need to have it, but it doesn't supersede the other priorities that are up above it. So it doesn't say that we should ignore our bodies and stop exercising, okay? But it does say that some things are more important than that. And for most people, exercise is a form of leisure, okay? Or, I don't know, maybe not, <laughs> so, or hard work, okay? But a lot of us who actually do the exercise, we come to enjoy it, okay? Runners, like, when I was going into police academy, I was running five miles a day. Now, why was I running five miles a day? Because after you kick two miles out of the way, it starts getting enjoyable. Those first two miles, you're like groaning. You're like, oh, I can't wait to get this over with. But mile three into mile five, that's endorphins kicking in, and it's a little bit more enjoyable, right? So it's pleasurable <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. But exercise cannot make you sacrifice other priorities. Your daily relationship with God should be a higher priority than exercise. If you miss out on devotions because you have to go out and do a five-mile run or shoot another hoop, your priorities are out of whack. Okay, God has to come first. Your family is more important than exercise. If you are never home because you go to the gym right after work and you're at the gym for hours lifting weights and so you're not home when your kids are awake and you never see them, your priorities are out of whack. If you're skipping out of church because of a basketball game, your priorities might just be out of whack. If this is a continual thing that's continually happening in your life, there's a problem there. And so we need to evaluate our priorities and get them in the right order. So first we had God, we had family, church and ministry, work, and then exercise and pleasure. Those would be our main categories right there. And it's easier to get our priority, it's easy to get our priorities out of order because oftentimes we just do what we do in the moment without thinking about it. We do what we feel like doing, which what you feel like doing comes from values. What are you actually valuing, okay? So the message is meant to be more of a reality check for us when we are deciding what things we should value, what things we should prioritize. How are we, how are we doing with making the most important things the most important things. Now the last verse we're going to look at is Colossians chapter number three, because this is kind of your solution here. How do we fix this problem? Okay. Colossians chapter number three. I think this models for us a good place to start 
on fixing our misplaced priorities in Colossians 3, starting in verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. And we're actually going to take these in the reverse order that they're given in the text. If you want to get your priorities straight, get them in line, the first thing you need to do is mortify. What does it mean to mortify? What is a mortician? Somebody who deals with dead people, right? You have to kill the affections, the value for things that aren't the priority, okay? So you have to kill them. You have to put them to death. You're going to have to say no to some things. Everybody say it with me, no. No, okay, you know how to say the word. Kids usually start off with that word because they hear it the most, okay? Either that or mama, okay? So, but no is one of those first words that kids oftentimes learn. But we don't learn to actually say it when it matters. When I want something that isn't right for me right now at this moment, we struggle with saying no. Kill it. Mortify it. Say no to it, okay? That's the first step. The second one is to set your affections on things above. Verse number two, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. The reason you prioritize things out of order is because you value things out of order. So what you have to do is you have to set, you have to place your affections on the things that truly matter. Make those your consuming passion, and you will find that your priorities will automatically get themselves in the right order. The question here is what do you love? What are your passions? Place your affections on God and his priorities. And if you want to have right priorities, you have to change what you want the most. So say no to some things. Change what you want. Place your affections on things above. But then the third thing is, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Seek the things which are above. That's a pursuit. Constantly be pursuing God and his priorities, and your priorities will align themselves the way that they ought to be. So that's the solution to having our priorities out of whack. Mortify, say no to some things, change what we desire, and constantly pursue God and his priorities. The world is full of voices that are clamoring for your attention, especially in our information age, right? You're going to have to shut out some of those voices. That's the mortification. You're going to have to change what you think is the most important thing to occupy your time with, and you're going to have to pursue the best over what is merely if you're going to align your values with God and priorities with God's priorities. So adulting 201, let's get our priorities straight. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll have a time of invitation today. <clears throat> Like I said, this is really like a reality check. Let's look at the things that we have invested the most time and the most energy into and ask ourselves, what am I prioritizing in my life? Am I allowing other things to become more important than the things that truly matter? What, are, what is my list of priorities? Where do these things fall in my life? And I think especially as husbands and fathers, 
Family is one of those things that we fail to prioritize a lot. So let's, let, this week, don't forget Valentine's Day. Make your wife a priority. But let's value, let's prioritize the things that God prioritizes. Thank you.